The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. Uh, My guest this hour is Dr. Marvin Appel, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Appel Asset Management Corporation. Uh, he is the author, the, also the author of a new book called Higher Returns from Safe Investments. Welcome to the show, Marvin. Thank you very much. Let's just start with a bit of your background and uh, what kind of uh, money management uh, services you provide at your money management firm before we get to the book. Okay, well, um, uh, our clients are mostly individuals and uh, small business retirement plans, and the, the, the theme in everything we do is protection of clients' capital during periods when the market is bad, as we've seen in the past month, um, but being more exposed to the market and taking advantage when conditions are good. So we're, we're all about, uh, you know, we don't sit on our hands. We, we, we actively protect our clients when we think there's an increase in the risk that their investments face. Um, and, we, and we do that, as I say, for, for individual clients. Uh, using mostly mutual funds, but also exchange-traded funds uh, and individual stocks and bonds as well. Are you a value player or a technical analysis? What, uh, how do you uh, pick your securities? Oh, no, we, we, are, I, we would fall under the group of technical analysis, uh, although we do pick individual stocks on a, on a value basis as well, fo- focusing on, on the financial solidity and high dividend yields. But, but, but primarily we are techno- technical analysis, so we will go any area of the market that where we feel is opportunity for our clients, provided it's uh, consistent with the level of risk we we think it's uh, we 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 have agreed with the client that it's safe to expose them to. So uh, you know when growth stocks are in favor, we 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 are there. Uh, you know we're not limiting ourselves to any one area of the world or any one investment style. And tell us a little bit about your newsletter systems and forecasts. Uh, oh, it's a, it's a newsletter comes out every two weeks, and then uh, we have email hotline updates twice a week. Again, technical analysis, uh, focusing on short and intermediate term trends. Uh, the the uh, twice a week hotline uh, updates, uh, you know, the near term market outlook plus any important news as it affects investors. But but uh, the newsletter itself maintains two portfolios that the readers can follow for their own investments if they want. And, and those uh, the, the typical holding period for for items in that portfolio is weeks to months. So so we try to pick things that. Uh, that we feel have have good prospects going forward, then that that you don't have to be glued to the uh, to the ticker tape or the television screen every day to to follow your investments. We do that for you. If people want to find out more about that, is there a newsletter or, or website of some kind they could go to? Um, probably the best place to find out about everything that I do would be my own website, which is www.appellasset.com. That's a p p e l a s s e t dot com, and there's also a link there to the newsletter website, which is systems and forecast. Very good. Okay. Now, you've come out with this new book called Higher Returns from Safe Investments. Uh, Why do you think it was necessary to come out with this book at this time? Well, uh, a lot of investors have a fundamental problem. In the good old days, you could just buy a bond if you were concerned about risk and collect the interest, and the interest was attractive. 
Uh, nowadays, uh, interest rates are very stingy, and so the the investor who's looking to earn a few percent a year without taking a lot of risk has to work very hard to do that. And and so all investing for for safe investors really is a trade-off between uh, you know where you where you take on the risk and, and the rewards you get. Uh, the notion of just leaving your money in the money market or in bank CDs or in treasury bonds or, in, or any of the traditionally uh, safe investments, uh, where in the good old days you could do that without having to think very hard, nowadays just don't pay enough to keep up with what's likely to be a future rate of inflation, much less enough to, to give you income to live on. And, and when you compound that with the fact that uh, mo- most of us haven't saved as much as we should, um, you know, perhaps uh, many people were counting on home equity that's no longer available to be tapped, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, you have to work hard, e- even if you're in a situation where you shouldn't be taking a lot of investment risk. You do have to think hard. I shouldn't say you have to work hard, but you certainly have to do. So- you have to be thoughtful about how you manage your investments to, to get an, an acceptable return without just uh, exposing yourself to the, the ups and downs of the stock market or, or the risks in other areas as well. You, ha- you have to be thoughtful about balancing risk and return, and that's what I've tried to do in the book. In general, uh, interest rates have been, uh, as you say, low, and, and lately they've actually been falling even further, particularly treasuries, uh, as kind of flight to capital, uh, flight to safety uh, money coming into treasuries, pushing our interest rates down more. Is is this going to last a while, or is this an anomaly based on the, the current fears about Europe? I, I think the recent bump in the 10-year interest rate from, you know, where it had been 3.8%, now it's down to 3.2%. I think a lot of that is a, is a flight to safety, uh, and I view that as... Uh, as, as, as something that's going to be short-lived, you know, I think a year from now the situation will be different. Um, but uh, on the other hand, uh, the, right now the, the, there are forces that are keeping interest rates low. Uh, the, the, there was a tremendous amount of borrowing in this country uh, that that was tied to mortgage-backed securities, asset-backed borrowing, things like that, and that has really dried up now. And, and so that means that even if you count borrowing by state and uh, local governments, which is running about normal levels. Add to that corporate borrowing, which is running about normal levels overall. Add to that the, the borrowing by the federal treasury, which has exploded. Despite all of that, despite the trillion-plus dollar deficits that the federal government is running, the fact that so many people are no longer borrowing against their homes means there's a lot less demand for long-term borrowing than, than there was just three years ago. And that's helping to keep interest rates low. Um, so so that, that, is a, that is a relative change in the balance between supply and demand for credit that is, is going to remain in effect until inflation heats up. And at that point, which is not going to be this year, may not even be next year, but at some point uh, inflation is going to heat up. And when it does, that's going to drive interest rates higher. So I don't think that low interest rates right now, especially in the long term, are a permanent condition, but I don't think they're in, uh, likely to end any time this year. Let's talk about inflation. Some say that all the money that we're printing and the deficits uh, are building up a huge inflationary wave. Other people say uh, it's the opposite, that uh, we have to be more worried about deflation, and particularly the contraction that's going to be happening in Europe is going to be deflationary as those countries uh, go through a lot of austerity. Uh, which way do you see things going in the inflation-deflation camps? Well, I, I think the long-term risk, as I see it, is towards inflation. Um, that that you can only print up money for so long before before it starts to lose its value. And again, right now, uh, Europe is going to face inflation sooner rather than later because the euro has just lost twenty uh, percent of its value from its peak, and uh, that means that everything that they 
that they pay for imports is is, is going to be inflated by that much. So, so they're going to face inflation in the near term. They're exporting their deflation to us in the form of, uh, you know, their currency devaluation. So that that's going to keep prices down here and, and, and also somewhat hold back economic growth down here for a while. So, so in the short term, the markets are telling us that we're in a, uh, you know, in a somewhat deflationary mode uh, in that commodity prices are falling and interest rates are low and, and the dollar is rising. So it, at this moment, things are looking deflationary. But I don't think that's going to sustain because ultimately the U.S. government can only print up so many dollars uh, but before things before before we get inflationary. Uh, right now, uh, the, uh, companies uh, don't pass along any of their uh, well. I mean, there's no there's no upward pressure on wages because there's so much unemployment. And as long as that's the case, inflation is going to remain in check. But when the recovery gathers some steam, and that may not be for another year at least, uh, you know, when the labor market becomes tighter, then we're going to see inflation. Right, right now, everyone is kind of just uh, tightening their belts because we have to. But that won't continue. So I, I, I think the risks are towards inflation. And, and I think that's what the price of gold being near its record high is telling us. What is the tipping point, uh, this is obviously important for any income investor, about uh, whether people lose faith in the dollar and the dollar starts dropping? Or, I mean, some people say we can just keep printing money at, uh, you know, a trillion and a half dollars a year, and, and because we're the reserve currency, uh, it almost doesn't matter. We can just keep having deficits as far as the eye can see. And some people saying there's a tipping point comes and they won't accept them anywhere. What, what is the, uh, the outlook there? Well, I, uh, I, I, think it, I think the outlook, uh, I, I suspect that we're going to get our deficit under some control in the near term, meaning in the next few years. Um, you, know, you know, a lot of this trillion-dollar deficit is, is due to a shrinkage in tax revenue. Again, when the economy gathers steam, um, <coughs> that will uh, actually decrease the amount of government spending on things like supplemental employment insurance and the like, and, and uh, you know, will increase tax revenue. So I... I can't tell you when the tipping point is. It's just that history suggests other countries that have played fast and loose with their currencies haven't gotten away from it forever. Um, and and I have to say, have to assume that that we're going to be in the same situation if we don't do something about it eventually. Uh, now, again, in, in the near term, we're okay. Nobody wants to to leave trillions of dollars in reserves in the euro, so so we're kind of the default option right now for for all these countries, oil exporters in China and such, uh, you know, that are building up huge currency surplus reserves. Uh, but but uh, eventually, I mean, we've already seen that uh, stirrings that that they they wish it were otherwise, and and so it's only a matter of time. Um, the the real issue is going to be whether we deal with 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 uh, future entitlement liabilities, which dwarf. Uh, you know, Medicare future liabilities dwarf even the trillion dollar a year deficits we're running now. Um, so, so, so that's really the issue. And, and, and frankly, I think if I'm not, I'm not particularly optimistic this is going to happen in a timely way. I, I think, I think we're going to get closer to what the situation is ending up in Greece before we, before we get better. But, uh, but in theory, if the government did something about the looming trillions of dollars of of liabilities that we have coming down the pike in the form of Medicare, especially, and also Social Security, and also uh, public sector employee pensions. Um, you know, if we do something to address that uh, years in advance, I think it would make things a lot better. And if we don't, eventually we're going to be headed down the same road that Greece is. What would be the signs for investors that the tipping point is coming? Is it the price of gold, or kind of what would be a sign that things are changing and people are not willing to accept that? 
Well, well, certainly the price of gold is one thing, and, and that's, that's the one thing I would have to say that, that's kind of bearish. But, um, you know, the, it's funny, Pete, you, you were mentioning about, uh, you know, what about the relative strength in, in the U.S. dollar. Well, well the U.S. dollar is, is at the low end of its historical range. If you look at the, the U.S. dollar index, which I think is now in the, um, in the uh, it's about 80, in the mid-80s right now, um, yeah, about 80. It's uh, last closed at 85.57. So, so, so when you look at that, the lowest level ever seen was in 2008 when it got down 70 at 70. So we we are off the low in that sense. But uh, you know, remember when the euro came out? Uh, you know, a little more than 10 years ago, it was a dollar 18 to the dollar. Now it's still even after the decline, it's still a dollar 23 to the dollar. And and, and the U.S. dollar index. Um, you know, un- until the most recent uh, financial crisis, the-, the low point for the U.S. dollar index uh, was in the. Um, I'm trying to pull up my data here while I'm talking, and I apologize for for okay. stumbling here a bit. Um, the-, the low point in the U.S. dollar index before the most recent crisis was in was in the early 1990s at a level of 79. So we're only 10 percent, let less than 10 percent off of the. The previous low point in the U.S. dollar, the US, uh, as opposed to a high point in the dollar index in the mid '80s of like 160, and if you go back to when currencies first started floating in, in 1971, the dollar index was about 120. So, so, you know, the dollar relative to the currencies of our trading partners has lost a third of its dollars, a third of its value over the past year, and and so the, the dollar is in fact giving us warning signs. It's just not as bad as it was. Um, back in uh, back in early 2008. So in that sense, we we breathe a sigh of relief and say, "Oh, look, everyone's treating the dollar with respect as a reserve currency." But in fact, uh, the markets are speaking. The long-term message in the markets are quite the opposite. The dollar is closer to its all-time lows than to its all-time high. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marvin Appel, uh, who is a money manager. His newest book is called. Higher returns from safe investments. We'll get into the different alternatives for income investing after we get back from this break. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marvin Appel. Uh, who is a money manager, and his newest book is called Higher Returns from Safe Investments, Using Stocks, Bonds, and Options to Generate Lifetime Income. Welcome back to the show, Marvin. Thank you very much, Jordan. Let's start with bonds, uh, which is the uh, probably the biggest investment that most people uh, have uh, as far as producing income. Uh, how can people figure out what is the right type of bond uh, for their situation? Uh, okay, well... I- uh, for the individual investor, the, the most important thing is, is to to start with where, where you need to be. Uh, you know, as, I think it was Yogi Berra who said, if you, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up someplace else. And, and when I talk to clients or prospective clients, I ask them, how much money do they spend? How, you know, what does their lifestyle cost? Well, you'd be surprised how many people hadn't thought about it that way. So in order to make the investment decision, you've got to decide how much do you want to be able to spend each year, and how much do you have? And that tells you, it gives you an idea of what the rate of return is you need. And, and then, of course, your goal should be to meet that rate of return with the least risk possible. So uh, most people these days, because Treasury and investment-grade bonds aren't paying very much, uh, don't have enough money to be able to say, okay, I'm going to meet the goal of retiring at age 65, spending a certain amount of money, increasing that amount to keep up with inflation, and take only the level of investment risk that's consistent with investment-grade bonds, because with the average investment-grade bond just paying 3% a year, that, that's barely enough to keep up with a typical inflation rate, uh, much less uh, draw down your assets. So uh, unless people are, are willing to draw down their assets, lose purchasing power over time, which is not something I recommend for my clients or for, or for your listeners, uh, you got to go beyond individual bonds. And then how far beyond you go that decision depends in part about how much more than the 3% yield available from current bonds you need to, to take. Um, and, and so that's basically it. Uh, the book, uh, in the book, I, for most people, uh, probably going to need a, a 
balanced approach that can include individual investment-grade bonds or bond index funds such as Vanguard's, which, again, right now you can get only 3% from them, but they're very safe. But you also need to go a little bit further out in the risk spectrum towards high-yield bonds, preferred stocks, and some equities. How about uh, taxable versus tax-exempt bonds? I mean, the yield you get today on on municipal tax-exempt bonds, in many cases, is higher than the same maturity of taxable. Uh, But I guess that's a reflection of the perceived increased risk of municipal bonds. Is is that being overdone, or should people worry about uh, municipal bonds? Well, I'm a little bit worried about municipal bonds, but but the the first point that your listeners, I think, should take home about the relative yields available from taxable versus muni bonds is that that most people compare muni bonds to treasuries. And, yes, you can probably get close to the same yield on a municipal bond that's tax-free as you would pay on a treasury that's, that's federal taxable. But... But the real comparison in terms of comparing apples to apples risk-wise is what can you get from a corporate bond versus what can you get from a muni. And and there I don't find that munis are particularly advantageous. That's really a function of what tax bracket you're in. But but taxable non-treasury bonds, I think, are competitive with munis. Um, I like the idea of munis, and obviously tax rates are going up, but but the yields are not good now. So uh, and, And I think there's a certain risk... I think you have to diversify a lot. There's a certain risk that some localities, I think, are going to default their way out of their pension obligations. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen on a widespread scale or not, or whether they'll step back from the brink and maybe renegotiate some of these obligations. But I think that's a risk that someone has to bear in mind. It may be a remote risk, but on the other hand, you don't want to gamble your whole nest egg on any particular risk like this. So I'm kind of agnostic about munis right now. Uh, Build America bonds, I think, are a good opportunity for people in lower tax brackets. Uh, you, you, since the government's paying 35% of the interest cost, if, you're, if, you're, if your combined federal and state tax bracket is less than 35%, they're effectively subsidizing your returns. And so Build America bonds uh, are a good bet for people in low tax brackets. And, and when tax rates go up, uh, perhaps conventional munis, you know, true tax exempts, uh, maybe a better bet for high income, you know, high tax people. But but uh, I, I'm, I wouldn't uh, put all my eggs in that basket. That's my own feeling right now. Are you concerned about potential default uh, statewide by some of the bigger states, uh, New York, California, Michigan, you know, that have these enormous deficits and huge amounts of bonds outstanding? You know, I'm I'm actually uh, I'm from New York, and I'm not being chauvinistic here. But the Wall Street Journal has reported on which states have more more fully funded their pension obligations, and surprisingly, uh, because New York state government is not known for being efficient or effective, uh, but surprisingly, our um, our state pension obligations are, are fairly fully funded compared to other states. Uh, so. I'm not sure I'm concerned about a state government defaulting on their general obligation bonds. I think that's a, that is a very remote risk. Uh, but certain localities might be in that situation. Uh, maybe Los Angeles. Again, this is remote. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. But, you know, is there, is there some remote chance that Los Angeles could end up defaulting? You know, the, the mayor there was talking pretty tough lately. Uh, so, so that's possibility. I, I don't know the finances in Michigan, but just as a general rule, since the auto industry is in decline, it, it's, uh, you know, there's a certain risk there, and, and I don't believe they're as fully funded with respect to their pension obligations. So, uh, you know, you have to, you have to diversify, I think, uh, when you're buying muni bonds, either buy a revenue bond from a specific project that, you know, is very solid, uh, or, or a general obligation bond. I, I don't see general obligation bonds defaulting. 
What do you think about the idea of insurance for municipal bonds? <laughs> I think the financial crisis has shown that it's worthless, that the, the insurance companies uh, were, were less sound than the governments they were insuring. Uh, so I wouldn't bother with it. I, I wouldn't count on it, and I wouldn't bother with it. Okay. You also have a little section here about Social Security recipients uh, being caught uh, with tax-exempt interest. Why don't you explain briefly, uh, what, if you're receiving Social Security, how that might affect the kind of bonds you buy? Well, yeah, the problem for Social Security recipients is a, there's a very complicated formula that determines what percentage of your Social Security payments are subject to, to, to your income tax. And part of what kicks you into a higher tax bracket for your Social Security income is whether you have tax-exempt income. So uh, and there's no formula, unfortunately, that can do it. You just have to run the scenarios through the worksheet that the IRS provides. So, you, you know, you, you may think that triple tax-free, you know, bonds are, are truly tax-free, but they're not if you're on Social Security uh, because they count as income towards, you know, against which the, gov- well, which the government uses to evaluate whether you're rich enough to, ha- to owe income taxes on your Social Security. So now if you're in the situation where 85% of your Social Security is already subject to income tax, then buying uni bonds is truly tax-free. It's not going to make that situation worse. But, but if you are in a situation where you're not paying income taxes on your Social Security, you do have to be careful about, um, uh, about how much other income you're showing. Uh, you're still probably better off getting uh, municipal bond income than taxable bond income, but, but it's, it's, it, it still may end up being taxed. You have a whole section here on long-term versus short-term bonds. How should people make the decision on what maturity uh, bond they should get if they're going to uh, get some bonds? Well, the, the real answer, well, the, the problem is this, is that right now interest rates are low, but, but the yield curve is steep, by which I mean that the, the difference between the yield you can get by going out 20 years versus the yield you get staying short-term, let's say two years, is very wide. So even though interest rates across the board are low, they're really low on the short end of the curve and, and, and less low uh, on the long end. And, and so the conundrum is if you lock in a long rate uh, and interest rates go up, you're going to suffer a lot of price risk from your bonds. Or if you're holding an individual bond to maturity, you're foregoing a lot of potential additional in- interest income, but at least you're locking in a rate you can live with. If you buy 30-year treasuries and get 4.3% on them, um, if you expect inflation to be 3%, you're at least staying a little bit ahead of inflation. Uh, whereas if you buy a two-year treasury and get less than a percent, you're not even keeping up with expected inflation. So it's a tough conundrum. Um, and the answer, again, comes really back down to uh, partially financial planning. If there's a long-term individual bond available and the yield is enough for you to live on, it meets your needs, then you can buy it. On the other hand, if you're looking to invest in a long-term mutual, in a bond mutual fund, you're facing a lot of price risk from going long. And I, and I recommend against it. Uh, nobody has a crystal ball, but I, I, think that, I think that long-term rates in the next few years are going to be higher rather than the same or lower. And, and that creates a lot of price risk. And, and, and so I wouldn't, put all, I wouldn't recommend to your listeners, um, unless their specific financial condition is so solid that they can assume that risk, I wouldn't recommend the typical investor put a lot of money in long-term bonds, certainly not in long-term bond mutual funds, uh, you could do the concept of bond laddering, which is to spread your money out over a range of maturities. Um, that, that, that's the best compromise. But, but it is a treacherous time to be a bond investor right now because the, the price risks in the event that interest rates do go up, uh, as I expect they will in the next few years, you know, can be significant if you're investing in long-term bonds. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marvin Appel, whose new book is called Higher Returns from Safe Investments. 
using bonds, stocks, and options to generate lifetime income. And we'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marvin Appel, whose new book is called Higher Returns from Safe Investments. Welcome back to the show, Marvin. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about bond mutual funds versus bond exchange-traded funds and the pros and cons of each. Okay, I I'm not a I love exchange traded funds, but I'm not a great fan of bond exchange traded funds, and the reason is because there's a lot of day to day price volatility, especially when the market gets a little crazy, and and uh, you don't need that kind of risk. Uh, you know, the the day that that the market may be moving, and you want to sell or buy in a in a panic or to take advantage or whatever, you, you'll find that your bond bond ETF might be priced a half a percent to a percent different from the movement in a comparable bond mutual fund, and those differences tend to reverse themselves within a day or two, but it's a level of day-to-day risk you just don't need. Uh, there are perfectly, there are a small number of really excellent bond mutual funds that, that fill the same niches as the bond ETFs and do so without the same kind of price volatility, but that's a short-term price risk. 
what would be some of your favorites in the bond fund uh, category that you would like? Uh, two of my favorite bond funds are uh, the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund, which is ticker symbol VBMFX, and the PIMCO Total Return uh, PTTDX. Well, there are a lot of different share classes, but but uh, so th- those are two where if you bought and hold them, uh, you wouldn't go terribly wrong. Okay. And one of the other areas you like in bonds is high-yield bonds. Yes, um, I, I think in an era of low interest rates, high-yield bonds are, are prospectively one of the best areas for individual investors. Uh, uh, now, as, as we speak on May 24th, our high-yield bond models are on a sell, so I wouldn't go out, uh, you know, I wouldn't advise the listeners right now to go and buy them. Y- you can't buy and hold a high-yield bond fund. You have to watch it because... Every time there's a crisis of business confidence or the threat of a recession, uh, they can have significant losses. But and that's about 20 to 30 percent of the time that the bond market conditions are unfavorable for high yield bond funds. And in my book, I describe how to recognize what, when those are. It's not something you have to subscribe to, to me to, to learn. Um, but uh, mo- the majority of the time, these high yield bond funds are, are doing just fine. And right now, they're paying about seven percent a year interest or more in some cases. And when you compare that to the three percent you get from the Vanguard Fund, for example, the Total Bond Market Index Fund, which itself is one of the more uh, more efficient at passing along dividend income to its shareholders, comparing that to the 7% you can get from a high-yield bond fund during normal market climates, the high-yield funds look very attractive. But again, you have to you have to use a discipline to control the risk. You can't buy and hold a high-yield bond fund because when there's a recession, they can lose 20 25% of their value, and that negates the whole interest rate advantage. You can only use them if you use a strategy such as the one I describe in my book to get out of so trouble you're, you're at an the, early stage. Uh, the higher yields are more than compensating for the higher default <laughs> risk in the high-yield bonds. Uh, the higher yields compensates for them, again, provided you use the risk containment strategy, not if you're buying and holding them. Uh-huh. Another area you like is uh, TIPS, uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. With inflation very low right now, you're getting almost no yield on those whatsoever. Why would you want to get into those today? I think they're overpriced today, along with most Treasury debt. You have to keep an eye on them. When you can get a 10-year TIPS at two percent at a real interest rate of 2%, which means it pays you 2% plus inflation, that's a good time to buy. We may not see that for a long time. Early in 2009, there was a real deflation scare, and you could pick up TIPS for... For more than you know, for at more attractive prices than that, right now the ten-year tips is paying about one percent plus inflation, and that's not worth much. I I think that inflation is going to average three uh, percent a year going forward, as it has in the, in the past twenty years. Uh, not necessarily in the next twelve months, but looking forward over the next ten twenty years, I wouldn't be surprised to see inflation pick up to historically typical levels, and then the tips will pay you more down the road. But right now, along with all Treasury debt, tips are are. are um, Quite expensive, and and the best thing to do is to follow, watch the market until and buy on a significant dip if one should occur. It may not happen for another year, but it's worth waiting and watching. Another area you talk about in your book is preferred stocks, uh, where you can obtain higher yields than you can from corporate bonds. Why don't you just do a little bit of basics on what preferred stocks are and why they do offer such attractive yields? Yeah, well, per, yes, preferred stocks are. They're like debt in the sense that uh, they're a loan you make to the company, but unlike a bond, m- most bonds have a fixed maturity date. So you know if you hold the, an individual bond till its maturity date, you're going to get your principal back. Uh, the only thing that stops you is if the company goes bankrupt. Preferred stocks are not like that. Preferred stocks, if they have a maturity date, it's 30 years out, and some of them have no maturity date at all, which means the company can pay you back whenever it feels like it, but doesn't have to pay you back at all. 
uh, of course, if they're not paying you back your principal, then they are paying you the interest. And, and, and so one of the reasons why they preferred stocks pay more money than, for example, bonds from same issuer is that the company has the option of paying you back early if interest rates move down a lot or failing to pay you back at all if interest rates move up a lot. So if you buy a preferred stock, you have to be satisfied with the with the dividend income because you have to expect to live with it for a long time in in a worst case scenario. Uh, but again, they 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 are paying yields anywhere from six to nine percent, uh, depending on the company that you just can't get elsewhere except for high yield bond funds. Um, there is a lot of price risk in preferred stocks too. Uh, most preferred stocks are issued by banks. Uh, which means that uh, when there was a financial crisis, uh, European banks this year, American banks in 2008, the preferred stocks took a very big hit. So I, I wouldn't recommend putting more than 10% of your assets in preferred stocks, but they are attractive. And one of the strategies in the book is to try to ferret out those preferred stocks, which is maybe 1 in 10 that are not issued by financial companies. They don't yield quite as much. They're closer to the 6% end. But on the other hand, they've been a lot less volatile even through the uh, mini crash that we just had earlier this month or through 2008. So I, I think preferred stocks are, are good, high-income producing investments. Uh, one of my favorites right now is Annalee Preferred A. If you can buy that at $25, uh, $25 a share or less, it's paying between 7 and 8%. Um, and, and it's been much more stable than the common stock in this mortgage REIT and, and much more stable than many other areas of the preferred stock market. You talk about the difference between cumulative and non-cumulative preferred stock. Why don't you explain that, and which one should you pick? Well, all else being equal, you should certainly choose a cumulative preferred stock. A non-cumulative preferred stock means that the company can decide to stop paying you the interest, and then when it resumes, it doesn't have to pay you back what it missed. Uh, now, so, so why would a company even pay interest at all? Well, uh, preferred stocks, the reason why they're called preferred stocks is they have preference over common stocks for any dividends. So if a company is is paying any dividend at all on its common stock, it can't do that until after it's paid off its preferred shareholders. Uh, so, so you're better off with a cumulative preferred if you can find it. You also have a list of uh, various mutual funds uh, that have a lot of large amount in preferred stocks. Is that a better way for people to go, and should they go open-end or closed-end mutual funds in uh, wanting to play preferreds? Well, um, if you're going to go closed-end mutual funds, uh, there's a lot of opportunity there, but also a lot of risk. And the reason is because the share price for a closed-end mutual fund can sometimes differ by as much as 15% easily from the value of its underlying holdings. So if you're buying at a time when these preferred, uh, when these closed-end funds have been beaten down, you get an 85, you're getting a dollar worth of preferred stock or, or bonds, for example, for just 85 cents, that's a great deal. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes uh, people get excited about, oh, i got to closed-end fund that's paying more than anything else was bid it up above its uh, liquidation value, and then, then you, that's not a good deal. So you have to pay attention to what the discount is and only buy these things when they're at a discount. And again, there's a lot of short-term price volatility in closed-end funds, much more so even than in bond ETFs or individual preferred stocks. So uh, they're not good trading vehicles uh, because the price you get any given day is, is going to vary quite randomly from the value of the underlying assets. Um, the, there is, there's a nice ETF, uh, actually there are several, but one in particular, for example, is the, uh, the iShares uh, S&P Preferred Stock Index ETF. The ticker symbol is PFF. Uh, that's a handy way to get exposure to preferred stock, and it has a decent yield, but it, it's a cross-section of the most liquid preferred stocks, which means it's heavily exposed to the financial sector. Uh, so for an investor who, who maybe has 
a few thousand dollars that he wants to invest in preferred stocks, that's a, that's a nice way to go about it. It's a lot easier than finding individual ones. But if you're talking about a larger investor, you can tailor your portfolio to hone in specifically uh, on those preferred stocks that have been less volatile and maybe do less of a representation in the financial sector than, than you get if you just simply take a cross-section of the most liquid preferred stocks the way the CTF does. In general, are the closed-down preferreds selling at discounts or premiums now? Uh, right now, uh, as we're speaking, you know, at the late May, closed-end funds are, are not all that attractively priced. Uh, so, so you have to watch for some kind of sell-off, uh, and, and they can be transient. Is that because there's a lot of demand for yield and people are willing to pay up for them? Yes. So they go to premiums when uh, other yields are lower and people are willing to overpay for them in a certain way, you're saying? Yes, especially, and now granted, we've had a bit of sell-off in the market, but, but uh, before, before the recent leg down, these things were, were, were very slim pickings, not, not worth it at all. And the other type you talk about are auction rate preferred stocks. Are those something you'd, you'd uh, uh, recommend today? Oh, not at all. I mean, this is something that is really more of historical significance. Uh, these were things that were supposed to beat the money market and, and were supposedly easy to get out of because there'd always be some other buyer in line to, to take them. So, so it was a, for example, this is a 30-year debt security, but, but the rate was adjusted every week at auction. And that was fine as long as there were people who wanted to park their money in them. But once, once the market dried up, the last one holding the bag is stuck with these things paying ridiculously low interest rates for 30 years. And a lot of companies, for example, thought they'd put their cash balances to work by, you know, getting a little extra money, putting them in these things, now found that they couldn't access their cash at all because they couldn't find anyone to sell these things to. So I, I wouldn't recommend auction rate preferreds at all. It's just an example of something that was great until it stopped working. What are some, uh, you said not financial companies, what are some companies uh, that are out there, um, you mentioned the Annaly, but some other ones, that do issue preferreds that you think are good in, in the non-financial area? Well, um, there are Royce and Gabelli mutual funds, actually. Uh, some of them issue preferred stocks. Uh, that's not technically non-financial, but it's very different. Those are very well collateralized. They only pay about 6%, but they're much safer than... Um, yeah, than uh, than your typical preferred stock. Uh, there's a public storage uh, is a, is a well regarded. It gets a REIT, so it may be considered a financial, but it's not a bank. So, public storage PSA has a preferred class K. Again, that that's uh, that that's a relatively financially solid. That's a financially solid, solid REIT, even in the face of everything that's been going on. And uh, so, so their preferred stock is worth looking at. Uh, AT&T has a preferred stock. The ticker symbol is ATT. It doesn't yield very much right now, but if it ever dips below $25 a share, as it has from time to time, I would think that's a good buy as well. Terrific. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marvin Appel. Uh, his new book is called Higher Returns from Safe Investments, Using Bonds, Stocks, and Options to Generate Lifetime Income. We'll be talking a little bit about calling, uh, selling covered call options when we get back after this break. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. 
Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When you were young, did you feel free to daydream? Were you full of questions such as why, how, and what if? Did you allow yourself to be carefree, to dance and sing? Did you create just for fun? Want to feel that way again? Reclaim your natural curiosity and creativity with Dr. Carol Stalka on Stargazing Stories, sparking your creativity. Revitalize your life, work, and relationships. Be more playful, be bold, imagine, explore, and live more creatively every day. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. in the East, 8 a.m. in the West on 7th Wave Network. Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There will be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison. Featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marvin Appel, uh, who is a money manager. His latest book is called Higher Returns from Safe Investments, Using Bonds, Stocks, and Options to Generate Lifetime Income. Welcome back to the show, Marvin. Thank you. And again, tell people uh, the website where they can find out more about you and your books. Uh, thank you. It's www.appellasset.com. That's A-P-P-E-L-A-S-S-E-T.com. Now, one of the strategies you talk about in the book is uh, getting income from writing covered calls. Uh, this is uh, covered call options. Why don't you briefly describe how that strategy works and why that makes sense to do today? Okay, what you're basically doing when you're writing covered calls, uh, and then explained in more detail in the book, uh, it's hard to educate uh, completely in just a few minutes, but basically what you're doing each month is, is selling, in return for a fixed payment up front, you're selling the rights to future price gains in the month ahead, but you're retaining all the risk. And um, the reason why this is a good strategy, the, the Chicago Board Options Exchange, CBOE, uh, maintains a historic, uh, historical values for an index, that's the performance of this strategy if you'd been hypothetically doing this with, with the basket of stocks that's the S&P 500 index. And uh, doing so has matched the return of the S&P 500 itself, but with about a quarter less risk. So historic 
historically, this is not to say each and every year, but historically, you do cut down on the risk without reducing the, without reducing your rewards, and and because of that kind of history, I, I think it's an excellent strategy. Should you do it with individual stocks or with uh, exchange traded funds or, or indexes? I recommend doing it with the exchange traded funds that track the S and P five hundred or the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500 Spider, ticker SPY, or the Diamonds ETF, ticker DIA, um, because the index option, the, the performance of the strategy against those indexes has, has beaten buying and holding the indexes themselves, whereas other indexes that's tracked on the CBOE website, has, that has not been the case. I, I don't have the answer for individual stocks. There are certain individual stocks that I do recommend doing this on or that I do it on as a practical matter, but I don't have the historical data to prove that it's a better thing. It, it's just from a technical analysis point of view. If I have a stock that's paying a decent dividend and it's trading at a level that I think from which I think further downside risk is limited uh, and the call premium is, uh, is generous, I'll do it. In my newsletter, I do recommend such positions, but I don't have the same kind of historical data that you can get from CBOE that really document the success of the strategy with, with certain indexes. Another strategy you talk about uh, to earn dividend income are equity uh, ETFs, uh, some of them around the world, some of them domestically buying high-dividend stocks. How does that work, and what are some of your favorites there? Um, Yes, well, there are there are a number of ETFs started. Uh, the first of which was started by iShares uh, back in 2003 that focus on on picking a basket of stocks that have uh, above average dividend yields. So, and this is one area where ETFs offer offer uh, some on something to fill a niche that is neglected by mutual funds. Most mutual fund expenses are simply too high to pass along a lot of dividend income to the shareholders, so they they don't even try many of them. ETFs have done a great job of doing that. Um, in years past, the yields from these things were quite attractive. Right now, the best you can get from these uh, high-dividend equity ETFs is about 4%. And the two that I recommend are the Spider uh, Dividend ETF, that the ticker symbol is SDY, and the Wisdom Tree uh, Emerging Markets Equity Income ETF, the ticker is DEM. And the reason why I like these as a portfolio, $2 in SDY in the U.S. Dividend ETF, for every dollar in the Wisdom Tree Emerging Markets uh, Equity Income ETF, is, is that the, sec- the representation of sectors uh, complements each other. So you get some nice diversification. The, the risk from holding both of them together at that ratio is less than the risk that hold- has historically been less than the risk of holding either of them separately. I'm not saying that diversifying this way turns risky investment into safe. That's certainly not the case. But, but you do get a good diversification because there is a different mix of sectors among high-dividend stocks in emerging markets. Uh, the problem that dividend stock strategies have had in the U.S. is, is that until 2008, uh, financial companies were disproportionately re- re- um, represented in that group, and therefore dividend strategies took it on the chin in 2008. Through previous bear markets, dividend strategies held up better than the market overall. On a global basis, so you, you have this wisdom tree emerging markets, but there are a lot of yields that are higher elsewhere uh, than in the U.S. Uh, are there some... Uh, global, in addition to the Wisdom Tree one, global uh, high-dividend uh, ETFs that you would recommend? Well, uh, uh, the, I've given you my two favorites. One that I've liked in years past is the Pacific X Japan. It's also a Wisdom Tree ETF. The Pacific X Japan uh, high-dividend ETF, the ticker symbol is DNH. That consists uh, mainly of Australia and New Zealand banks, but they, they weren't uh, hit by the kind of housing bubble to the same extent uh, or, or now to the European debt crisis. I mean, they're holding up much better than 
than U.S. and 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 European banks are. So I I think that uh, that's a good area to to, to uh, keep an eye on as well. Um, I mean, there are others too. I I I would recommend your listeners visit the Wisdom Tree website and look under dividend yield analysis and pay attention to the 30-day SEC yield. That's that's as best an estimate as you can get uh, of, of what dividend income you can expect going forward. In putting all this together, we talked about a lot of different strategies, uh, various bond strategies, taxable, tax-free, preferred stocks, uh, exchange-traded funds, covered call writing. How can somebody in today's environment put together a whole income-based strategy without taking too much risk that's going to get them a decent return to be able to support their lifestyle? Well, if you're looking to beat the typical interest rates from the bond market, and I think most investors have to be, um, I would recommend a, a portfolio that allocates up to 25% of, your, of the assets to equity strategies. Uh, these should be ideally less risky than those of the broad market, as covered call writing has been, as uh, the dividend income ETFs have been. Uh, th- those strategies should make up about 25% of your portfolio. Um, Another 25% of your portfolio should be allocated to high-yield bond mutual fund trading. Now, again, right now as we speak on May 24th, my model is on a sell, uh, so you'd have to follow the model and, and wait until conditions improve again, which may not be for several weeks uh, or even a few months. But, again, that's as a long-term strategy. For your, and, and while you're waiting for that to happen, your money's in cash earning nothing. That, that's the price you pay. It's better to be in cash uh, earning nothing than, than in something that's going down. But... Uh, over the long term, I think that 25% in high-yield bond mutual fund trading is going to be more remunerative than other bond investments. So that's 50% of your capital in potentially risky areas, but at least with some risk control strategies in place there. The other 50% can be in investment-grade bonds, and that, that depends on whether you have a good bond broker you trust or whether you, uh, if you want to make it simple for yourself, just go with the... Um, Mutual funds are recommended, again, the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund, the PIMCO Total Return, um, some individual bonds if you have uh, access to that. Uh, again, muni bonds right now I'm not enthusiastic about, but certainly you're know, keeping an eye on the market conditions. And when the yields are enough to meet your needs, then you can lock in at that point. So that's 75%. How about the last 25%? No, I'm sorry, no, uh, 50% would be in investment-grade bonds of various sorts, and, and the other 50% would be, you know, 25% of that uh, would be high-yield bonds, 25% in uh, equity strategies. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make in trying to put together an income portfolio in today's world? Well, I, I think there's a lot of performance chasing going on. People say, oh, long-term bond funds have made a lot of money, and therefore you should put your money there. Well, uh, that's that's only true. You should only put your money there is if if the income is sufficient for you to lock in, and you can take you can bear a huge amount of price risk because going forward, the only the money you're going to make from an investment grade bond is basically the amount of interest it pays. And uh, right now, if thirty year treasuries are paying four point three percent, that's what you expect to earn going forward. Uh, the fact that they made ten percent in the trailing year because interest rates fell, and so you got some capital gains on top of interest income. Doesn't isn't going to help project that you're going to get that much going forward, and I think a lot of people are making that that mistake as far as bond funds. They're chasing capital gains and mistaking that for a sustainable level of income in the future, which I don't think it is. And you're also saying that with rates as low as they are today, that another risk is uh, locking in long-term rates at very low levels here, and if inflation starts picking up, that you could have some pretty pretty big capital losses as well. That is a definite risk. So. Uh, very good. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Again, uh, Marvin's book is called Higher Returns from Safe Investments, Using Bonds, Stocks, and Options to Generate Lifetime Income. 
lots of ideas here. Uh, you don't have to just keep your money in the money market fund and CD anymore and earn almost nothing with all the different things that Marvin talked about. So thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Marvin. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back with another show next week. Goodbye for now from Jordan Goodman. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.